<laughs> Way to start. Way to start. Are you allergic to, to, Demo- to Democrats, Sean? Uh, suddenly, I've, I've developed an allergy to, to the left. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back from our summer break to a Democrat and a Republican walk into a bar brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Filming live here from Ollie's in Cape Coral. Come we got on. an audience. Yeah, we do have some folks in the audience today come on out grab a drink have a chat uh they have some comedy stuff going on later tonight i think Ooh, and always yes. a good time here so come and support a small business here in cape coral at ollie's cape ollie's pub in cape coral all yes. right so there's been a lot of stuff going on first off <laughs> over you, this you had quite a bit of a vacation though yeah so i had a family road trip Yes. With me and my kids, we drove from Florida all the way up to Maine. My daughter was in Girl Scout camp in Maine. Oh, okay. And we were camping all the way and we were meeting with friends. So um, part it was supposed to be more camping, but there was all these flash floods oh, in Vermont and Pennsylvania. So that kind of, you know, made me re- change plans. So I actually uh, crashed one night with our uh, fellow host here at Big Mouth Media, Rebecca Jones. She just moved to outside DC. So I called her up. I said, Hey, I know you <laughs> just moved into your house, but you might have crashed. So that yeah, was fun. You looked like you had a lot of photos on Instagram. It looked like you and your family were having fun. So I would did want to ask about that. Yeah. I have, uh, I don't know what you're drinking oh. today. Obviously, we're here at Ollie's, of course. Sometimes. And I am drinking a vodka soda, orange creamsicle, because I know what our first topic is going to be. So, about an orange creamsicle, he's uh, he's chugging it because uh, that's that's uh, what folks in the Republican Party <laughs> having to deal with right now. But yeah, how about you? Did you uh, get some time to relax? No, absolutely not. No, I've been. <laughs> I, I was formally appointed as the communications chair for the Lee County GOP, and it, I have been so busy. I have had no time to relax. Um, I am happy to be here, though, because I love, you know, it's I, this has always been just a fun discussion and an intellectual stimulating, to- stimulating time for me. And just the fact that we, as, Demo- as a, you know, a Democrat and a Republican, can come together and have these difficult discussions and, and you know, talk about these issues. And that's right. For those of you who are tuning in to us, this is Sean Hartman, our Republican, and I am Dr. Cindy Vignier, the Democrat. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's what this is all about for us to have an opportunity to talk across party lines about things that are going on. And not like attack each other and name call and all that type of stuff, which is ridiculous. So we're very happy to do this and we're very happy to bring this to you. And thank you again, of course, to Ollie's for providing such wonderful service and wonderful food and hosting us every week. So but yeah, we might as well get into it with the Trump indictment since that's the big news. I don't, I haven't even been paying attention. I think Nikki Haley said it best. I don't even know if it's the third or fourth Trump indictment anymore. It's yeah, just so it's exhausting. Kind of like the downslope of the Trump indictments. This is now his third felony indictment, second federal indictment. There were four charges of related to obstruction of the election. So this one's particularly for January 6th then, okay. Well, January 6th and the 2020 election overall, Mm -hmm. as well as the obstruction of rights, which is an interesting charge as well, basically trying to saying that because Trump knowingly was fueling the lies uh, related to Mm -hmm. the election, that he was stripping people of their right to vote, as well as- Which is a very interesting charge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, quite and a bit. And that was related to, by the way, there were other indictments that came down recently with the fake electors in the state mm. of Michigan. Uh, there were several people. There were the 16 fake electors, as well as a secretary uh, or attorney general candidate and a state rep that were mm -hmm. charged in the state of Michigan. There was another attorney. Yeah. These folks were all charged with the fake elector scheme there. There's yeah. also the fake elector scheme in Arizona and I think 17 other states. Yeah. Florida's have not dropped. We'll have to see if that's going to be coming up. Well, again, and, I, and I've said it before on this show that I'm, I'm a supporter of investigations and the rule of law. Um, an indictment does not mean a conviction. We still have to go through the judicial process. Um, but again, if he's going to, you know, if this is, um, you know, these are serious charges and it needs to go through the yes. judicial process. Knowing Donald Trump, he there's a reason they call him Teflon Don. For some reason, I don't think he's going to get indicted for anything just because... He's been indicted and charged. Or, or not indicted, not, I mean, convicted for anything, I meant, we'll not indicted. See. There's now 78 charges against Donald Trump, and that is not including the pending charges from Fulton County, Georgia, mm -hmm. which is specifically related to his attempt to influence leaders in the state to find him votes. So yeah. that's going to be another set of indictments yeah. and charges. And I know that he's been the Teflon Don, but this is pretty serious. And mm -hmm. especially these last four related to January 6th, there's also a heck of a lot of evidence related to the documents at Mar-a-Lago. Well, the, yeah, the Mar-a-Lago one, I think is the most concerning because that has to deal with national security. And I think that whether it's Trump or Biden or Pence, all of those were very serious issues um, and they need to be taken seriously. Um, again, I don't even, but even in that one, I don't even know if he's going to get a conviction there. For, I've been, so there were 34 charges and then there was an additional, I believe, four charges that came down just before mm -hmm. the most recent federal indictment for January 6th. And that was related to the security camera and the desire to delete yeah, the someone, security footage. And yeah, that yeah. resulted in two additional co-conspirators. Yeah, which is definitely shady charged. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I think it's not a, it's not a, it's, I mean, it's not a good time in terms of, in terms of dealing with, with the judicial system and deal with yeah. all of that, but apparently it, it doesn't hurt him, at least in the polls. And that's yeah. what's, that's been very interesting is the, the level of loyalty to him um, for through thick and then, and look, I'll, and I've, I've said before, I think, honestly, I have a love hate relationship with Trump. You know, there's things I liked when he was president, but I, I, get kind of exhausted sometimes with him. Um, and I am, I haven't decided who I'm supporting for 2024, but I don't, you know, I want to keep my options open and I kind of yeah. want less drama to deal with. Yeah. And he does come with a lot. Um, you know, it, he just does. It's just I, how he is. I and you think, can like it or hate it, but I that's think just keeping it. your options open is probably a pretty smart <laughs> idea at this point, considering you have the March trial for the New York charges. You have mm. a May trial for the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Yeah. And when this will go, this next set of indictments related to January 6th is supposed to go. There's speculation as to how that may go out. It may be squeezed in June. Um, of course, that is going to butt up against the Republican National Convention. Mm. And you don't want it to go too late because then you're actually going to be going into voting or general election yeah. voting. So and that's really the big issue with all of these cases. And where I think that there's a somewhat fair argument to be made that it, it comes off as election interference because you're whether you like it or not, having these 
criminal cases during an election is has an effect on it. I personally believe they need to have these cases earlier. They need to have them before Iowa. They need to get this over with earlier wow. before the primary and election season is truly underway. Well, in the so you have, a, but yeah, and that could have actually happened. But Trump waived his right to a speedy trial, especially in Florida with the Mar-a-Lago cases, because his yeah. tactic has been, and the reason he's been the Teflon Don is because he has been kicking out. It's run out the clock. It's yeah. it's throw That's a bunch scary. of stuff at them. And so that it takes a long time, right? So that is actually starting to bite them in the butt at this point because the timeline is going to lead up to the Republican National Convention. And basically, we'll different systems. Let's put this yeah. into context too. So there's a big difference between like what the judicial system in each state and each yeah. circuit court is going to do, what the law says related to that. And frankly, the political dates, they don't matter. Now, Trump's lawyers and the State Department or the D Department of Justice can advocate for different time frames yeah. based on what they think is going on. Mm -hmm. However, there's enough people that say that Donald Trump is probably running to avoid as much prosecution and to chill the prosecution mm -hmm. as well. So you yeah, can't that. say that it's going to that that one has to take a precedent other and over another i yeah. mean and i will say from a democrat's <laughs> perspective yeah we definitely wish that this had happened earlier uh we want it to happen fast <laughs> uh we want to see trump in jail because we're thoroughly convinced that he has committed mm -hmm. numerous crimes yeah. and i just want it to happen fast because i just want justice <laughs> i mean he's been committing crimes for decades at this point too I just, I just want justice to be the justice to be done and the drama to be over. I want, sure. I want the end. Uh, and, and you know what? And if so I end up not getting getting convicted, that's more power to him. But again, let's. It's there's just so much with him that just gets. It's not even like I don't support his policies. It's just that I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's it's like Trump. It's I have Trump fatigue. As view if, if if that right. can be a thing. I'm just okay. Trump. It is a thing. Good. I have Trump fatigue. I just do. Um, yeah, we would love to not talk about him. We would love to not. So let's talk about DeSantis. Wait, and his, okay, one more thing, and then we'll talk about okay. DeSantis. So the, the other thing, just that I want everybody to know, is we'll have another piece of drama related to the indictments coming up on Monday because there was a protection order that was put out by the Department of Justice, by Jack Smith, basically asking Trump to cease and desist with the yes. social media posts and with his attacks on him and other personnel. Mm. And I don't know how extensive it's going to be, but basically the judge has given the Trump team until Monday at 5 p.m. to say, why shouldn't this protective order go into effect? I have heard about this, and I am quite frankly concerned about it because it is a freedom of speech issue, and it is a political campaign that he's running. Again, like him or hate him, he has the right to speak his mind, and he has the right to campaign for office. Yeah, but you don't have a right to threaten people. He, the, the main tweet that this came after was yeah. the one that said, if they come for me, if you come for me, I'm coming for you, which was you know basically seen as a direct threat of and violence towards the people in the department of justice it, and what further it, escalation that might be it honestly sounded more hyperbolic again and we we've had this discussion I, is it hyperbolic when people attacked the capitol after january 6th when he said let's go attack the capitol <laughs> i mean how, he, how, how he, many more pieces of evidence do we need that even if 
Trump is quote unquote speaking hyperbolically, there are a significant number of people who are ready to do whatever we, that crazy shit is. We've discussed this before many times about how violent rhetoric has gotten. Um, and again, you know, we can't, you know, with a lot of these people, the sad truth is they will be violent no matter what. And yes, I can see your point that, oh, someone's going to read that and say, now we're going to go after Jack Smith. But I would figure even if he didn't say that, they're going to want to go after Jack Smith because Jack Smith is going after them. Said, look, take care of our judicial system. Let's, I'm confident in my, you know, innocence. And if we let justice take its course, everything will be fine. Everybody would sit down and shut the fuck up and there wouldn't be anything to say. That's that's not what he's saying. That is a fair point. That is a fair point. If he did say say that and just step back and let the process happen and be calm about it, there would be less of an issue. That that I could I would agree with. Okay, since you let's talk about uh, rhetoric, violent rhetoric. <laughs> Ron DeSantis this week said that as soon as he gets into the presidency, he's going to start slitting throats, which is just another yeah point on this ridiculously charged and violent political rhetoric that we're seeing. Yeah, but again, I don't think he's actually going to be going out slitting bureaucrats' throats. I mean, that one is also clearly metaphorical. And yes, again, someone might read that and say, yeah, let's go slit these people's throats. But again... Unfortunately, again, it's it's how you talk about things and how you talk about people and the violent rhetoric has has turned up. Yeah, we talked about this with Christian Ziegler and the, Mm -hmm. the Republican Party saying... They're going to eliminate all the Democrats from the state. Violent rhetoric fuels violence demonstrably. And the more that it's accepted, the more violent and tenuous our communities are. That, see, my only problem with that is, again, how do we determine, we, we, we look at these hyper hyperbolic situations, these metaphors, people speaking symbolically, and then we're 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 um, policing speech now in order so to. We've always been what- policing speech when it comes to violence. And by the way, a, an assault on somebody is a threat of violence in the state of Florida. That's how the law works. Battery is when you actually physically hit somebody. But if you say, I'm gonna punch you in the face, yeah. But that's it has a to be a direct threat. that's a direct threat of violence. Again, what we're talking how about. Is a- I'm going to get in there and start slitting throats, not a Because he's not going to literally do that. How do I know? Because he's not going to do that. You really think that Ron DeSantis, when he gets elected president of the United States, is going to go around and slit literally Shit, I'm a believer since January 6th, y'all. I didn't think that was going to happen. January January 6th, there was no governors or presidential candidates storming the Capitol on January. There was Donald Trump saying and telling people to storm the Capitol. But that wasn't Ron DeSantis. And that wasn't Okay. Okay. So what I'm saying is I now like am a much more staunch believer in the real world consequences of this type of rhetoric and speech. I think that we've mm-hmm. reached that tipping point where now I don't know. I, I don't know. And frankly, with the level of power consolidation that I've seen from Ron DeSantis, yeah. I don't know how we determine what's just good old fashioned hyperbole versus something he may carry out. I don't know anymore. And I think that if we really want to get back down to people being true, you know, leaders, then this has got to stop. It's got to stop. I'll, I'll agree with you that again, we, we, and we've, we've spoken about this multiple times, so we won't beat around the bush, but the, the rhetoric in general has gotten too much about hate. 
um, and too aggressive. And I am not comfortable with it. And I think that, again, one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we can civilly disagree, like on this issue. Sure. All right. We, we, obviously, but we don't disagree. We actually agree. Well, we agree. It's just your guys. So you want to protect. No, it's, it, no, we agree in the sense that violent rhetoric in general has to be toned down. Sure. But again, I don't think we're, you know, saying that someone, uh, someone saying something hyperbolic, hyperbolic is a direct threat of violence. So that's, yes. Okay. We have a comment from. Comment from the field. The peanut gallery. Oh. Pop in. Hi. So my question is, mm. if we have nuclear weapons and weapons of mass destruction in place for our military leaders and elected officials, and in order to safeguard us and them, we have things in place to check their psychological health and mm. safety. If we look at men who are in position or women, people in a position of power whose words can incite violence or impact us from a violent perspective, why are they not safeguarded and looked at the same way as these weapons? That's the point that we need to look at. Mm. Even according to the law, words are an act of violence. When you put somebody in a position of power who has the ability to create violence just from their words, they should be regulated as well. That's why we have people sign moral codes when they run for office and put their hands on the Bible and get sweared in. Something to think about. It is. It is for sure. Um, I think, again, we get into a very, very slippery slope situation where the line is, when, especially when it comes to the First Amendment rights. Um, not saying you're going to kill people. Yes, that, I think we can at least gonna, draw a line there. Say that line. Is yeah, there. we'll say we'll we all agree that we'll draw we'll draw maybe a very clear line. We're going to overthrow the government. Like, yes, maybe that too. That too as well. Yes, potentially, <laughs> potentially overthrow the government unless through a peaceful transfer of power through the process of an electoral pro, uh, through an electoral process, legitimate electoral process. All right, but so I, there was other stuff about DeSantis that you wanted well, to say. I think it's been interesting how much, you know, his fall from grace, essentially. Um, this has been 30 point slide. Mm. So when he before he announced his presidential campaign, mm. he was really pulling only a few points behind Trump. Yeah. And he slid from almost, you know, just behind him to 17 percent, 30 point slide. Yep. And uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is out there tying and in some places lapping him. So he is falling down and there's a lot, I, I find it, I find that he definitely made a mistake in running this time. I didn't think he was going to do it because of his close connection to Trump. He won his first gubernatorial race as essentially a Trump acolyte. Mm -hmm. So a lot of yeah, the his build support, the wall commercial. His, yeah, with his kid reading his kid, the Trump book. It was so, it was so bad. Honestly, I, I, did not like that commercial. Anyway, um, he, uh, you know, basically was a Trump loyalist, and then his supporters were both were both Trump supporters and DeSantis supporters. Right. Like most people wanted a Trump DeSantis ticket. Then Ron decides to run, and all of that goodwill and support that he had from those Trump Republicans has gone out the window mm -hmm. because they see him as disloyal and loyalty generally speaking is a is a major value within republican circles psychologically so they see ron DeSantis basically took so much political capital and is wasting it on this campaign i'm it's it's sad really because it's it's a real big fall from grace from uh someone who had who could have you know been a good candidate in 2028 if he had just been patient so what do you think the biggest reason for the fall is 
I think the biggest reason for the fall, we have to think about it from Republican circles, because I've seen commentators say, oh, he's, you know, he has trouble with women, all these culture war issues. The culture war issues play with the Republican Party. That's not the issue. The polls we're looking at is what's his support with Republicans and why are Republicans not supporting him? And I think they see that, that he is disloyal, that he's out there attacking, you know, going after Trump and you know, we even had the situation, I don't know if you saw, with Byron Donalds even going after him with the education issue. Mm-hmm. You know, you had that him. That was in, just for Trump. That, that was, was that was definitely, that was I think that was a pretty, uh, pretty much a Trump thing, too. Because I, I, Byron doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care about the state education standards. Uh, he has been actively trying to defund the public schools in the state of Florida for years, mm-hmm. you know, vis-a-vis his work in the state legislature and his wife's foundation that builds charter schools mm-hmm. around the state of Florida. He does not care what the state standards yeah. are related to African American he, history. Yeah, he's definitely This a, was something he could pick at and give a little present to Trump and say, "Please make me vice president." <laughs> yeah, cuz he's a he's of course apparently in the running for vice president even though again, constitution would make it difficult because if they're both living in Florida, then they couldn't win Florida. They Florida would basically either have to go blue or whatever, maybe they go green with Cordell Cordell West. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, Lord. That is interesting. But yeah, I just I just think again, I don't so know you think why it's the loyalty. I think it's a lot of it, the disloyalty. But then why would he have been high and then low? Exactly. He has still hasn't turned on. He Trump. was he was at his 20. He was he was only a few points behind Trump because enough Trump's of people. Trump's people thought he was okay because he wasn't going after him. And he initially he wasn't. But yes, you're absolutely right. He started going after him and punching because Trump started punching him. So he started fighting back. But unfortunately, the that disappointed the people who like both Trump and DeSantis. It's not because he's super weird in person. That could also be it too. See, here's the thing that 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 I have heard so much about. Now I haven't met him. I've actually met him once personally when he was a congressman, but I didn't really get a chance to speak to him or anything. But a lot of people have said that he's very rigid. And you know, he looks like you know, like one of those like Roblox <laughs> um things. Yeah, there's like some good videos of him where he's like holding a beer like this. Yeah. Like with a ridiculously broad shoulders, like abnormally broad. Like I think he wears shoulder pads or something. Probably. But yeah. <clears throat> and he does that thing with his hands that Trump do- does, but he always does it. His hands are at a right angle. Like he doesn't move his hands. He just keeps them here. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. I certainly have because I'm autistic and I notice these weird things. <laughs> he always, he talks like this and he has a, you know, anyway, but yeah, I think that has a, has a, has a bit to do with it too. You know, a lot of this, especially Iowa and New Hampshire's retail politics. You know, you mm-hmm. have to go out there, shake the hands, kiss the babies type of stuff. I was watching because I record the campaign 2024 stuff from C-SPAN. And so I was watching um, what, whatever that guy is, Francis Suarez or whatever, the guy, the mayor of Miami. Mm-hmm. He was out there doing some retail politics at an Iowa diner. And I was watching him and how he was, you know, talking to each individual people. It was like they knew each other. It was very casual. Mm-hmm. And... You know, could Ron DeSantis do that and seem like a normal person, you know, someone you can have a beer with or whatever? Uh, It doesn't seem like it. So um, that's going to really hurt him in Iowa and New Hampshire. And, you know, you really need to at least have some good showing in those states with, what, 16 people on the ballot right now. And we do apparently have, we know, the eight people who are going to be debating or have been invited to the debate. When is the the first debate's coming up? August 23rd at 9. It's going to be on Fox. I I think it's August 23rd. I might be wrong. 
Um, Trump's not going. Trump is probably not, he's invited, but he's probably not going. It's DeSantis, uh, uh, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, um, Vivek, uh, Doug Burgum for some reason. Because <laughs> he was giving everybody $20. Yes, that's a good point. You got to bribe like, the people. If you, if you donate. So did Perry Johnson, and he's not on the stage. If you if you give like one dollar or whatever to Doug Burgum's campaign, he'll send you a twenty dollar gift card. Mm. Yep. Yep. Because Straight there's a right. number. There's a there's a number of donors. You have criteria. to have a number of donors. So not only do you have to be polling at one percent or more. Yeah. But then you have to have I think it's forty thousand. Forty thousand donors, donors, and I donated to almost. Every I donated to almost every candidate except Will Hurd because I think he's too neoconservative. And then DeSantis or Trump, I didn't donate because I didn't think either of them needed it. I mean, I knew I didn't think Trump was going to go, and I didn't think DeSantis needed it, which I was right. And I forgot the last person who's going to be on the debate stage. And I uh, oh well, you're apparently not an important person who is not Ramaswamy. <laughs> no, Ramaswamy. I mentioned it was um, DeSantis, Vivek, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Burgum, um, Hutchinson. Not Hutchinson, no. Chris Christie. Suarez? Um, no, not Suarez. It's one of the other names that are kind Name of big. A candidate. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, apparently not. Some someone someone who I can't remember. It's gonna be it's gonna be ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I'm looking it up right now. That people are saying Trump is not going to come to this debate. Because he doesn't need to. That's why. So he doesn't, you know. <laughs> He doesn't. He really doesn't. So he's just going to let the bottom feeders fight? Yep. He basically tweeted out, um, let them debate to see. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's let the, he's, he's having them debate to see who he's going to choose for vice president. Oh, That's what he said. Nice. So what does happen if one of these trials, because now, we, like I said, we have March may and then we'll have a trial coming up for the january 6th june july maybe into august that would be really late but what happens if one of these comes back with a guilty verdict of any stripe i mean these are all felonies right now it's like 78 felonies so yeah i think it's very interesting if i mean if he obviously if he gets convicted he's going to keep running from prison i personally would not support support him um in the primaries um and i would uh, if that was end up being the case. I mean, at that point, though, I mean, it'd be after the primary nomination. Something that's been discussed um, is whether or not the Republican National Committee can put in a rule saying you can't be a convicted felon, mm-hmm. um, which would be a very interesting choice. Um, I, I might get flack for this, and I would like to remind everyone once again that I am not speaking on behalf of the Lee County GOP. Of course not. They're all sure. sycophants. One of you got to get. Who me. Are I'm going to. I'm going to lose my job. I've been here for a month. I'm going to lose. But Michael Flynn's slate of okay, people who got I, put in at the Lee GOP. I'm just saying. You not you. You actually came in later. I, these I was guys. actually initially running against them as secretary. See so that, go. but that's why. But Which that's not funded by Michael Flynn. Not funded. Not funded by anyone You're really. <laughs> Anyway, um, what were we saying about so? What I would, your personal I, opinion if, if, if the if, rule goes through? I would personally just support the rule. Uh, you would support the. I would support the rule. rule. I would support a rule 
preventing a nominee from being a convicted felon, 100%. Because, you know, we are a party that that is run on moral moral character or initially that that's you know that's the core values of being a republican there's a sense of moral responsibility when it when it comes to being a republican we have to actually i'll use the quote from john adams because he says it best he talks about how you know we can't vote for people um public virtue is just as important as private virtue Mm -hmm. And we have to look at the virtue and moral character of the people we elect. And I don't think we do that anymore on either mm-hmm. side, really. Um, we look at, oh, what can they do to us? Republicans that I speak to who uh, support Trump, um, they uh, agree with me about his moral character privately. Mm-hmm. But what they'll say is, like, look at the results he's gotten us. You know, and if you're a Republican, he's done a lot of good things. For- <laughs> the, well, again, we'll look at the Trump, the Trump administration pre-COVID. We had a very good economy. We were uh, reducing our military footprint. There is a lot of diplomatic efforts that were taken care of, the Abraham Accords. So there is a surprising, you know. You don't get to just like take the largest catastrophe of our era yeah, and be no. like, everything was great. Until except COVID. For that. <laughs> yes, no. Like, you just that's, don't. Yeah, well, everything sucked. And it for was COVID like, and... it was like two years. And yeah. His so the first half he did actions like 50% really made it worse. So, you know, exponential deaths, uh, really challenging to the economy overall. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, yeah, okay. I mean, like, if you you guys were, I'm just gonna, yeah, before, (laughs) and honestly, where are we at with Abraham? It didn't do shit. So, the region is still in chaos. We still have chaos between Palestinians and Israelis. You still have regional chasms in the Middle East. So, I don't know, as a student, as a person who's studied international relations extensively, I don't think the Abraham Accords are really very impactful um, to hang your hat on in terms of, like, an Mm. entire presidency. Fair. Uh, I mean, I don't really know too much about it, if I'm going to be totally honest. So... (laughs) That might be true. I mean, I must you know that that there's been. Some... It was really a big nothing. Bro. Anyway, uh, well, speaking anyway. of foreign policy, <laughs> oh, right. know, you want since to talk about... I want to talk about Niger, which which uh, a lot of people may have seen it spelled differently, but it is a soft G, not a hard G. So everyone just make sure you know that Niger is an African country in between Nigeria and Libya. The other words got two G's. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I used to think it was pronounced the other way for quite a long time. And I actually only found out recently that it was pronounced Niger. And I'm not really proud of myself for that because I am a foreign policy nerd and I should have known that. You said Niger, but... I always said Niger too. And then, but I did used to think it was... Well, they were saying Nigeria. It, on the news, it's like Niger. They're calling it Niger, like it's French. Listen, I'm an East Asian. <laughs> person and probably that is because of their relationship with the french so yeah. why don't you talk about that so yeah so just so everyone knows obviously we don't really pay attention to africa too often which is in and of itself is a problem because there's a lot of geopolitical issues that mm-hmm. are going that will start with africa and we really need to have a better focus on african affairs and what's going on there so mm-hmm. niger's an, an east african is it no west african country I have to do my directions in my head. I'm never eat sour watermelons. There we go. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, they had a coup d'état. So, which is they they 
tend to have a lot of coup d'etats in Africa, but this one, this is a military coup d'etat that deposed a democratically elected president. I don't know their names. Don't ask me to tell you their names or pronounce their names, because even if I did know their names, I probably could not pronounce them. I think one of the generals is named Mohammed, though. So... So that's likely because it is they a, have a large Islamic population. So and it's it's actually a crucial strategic area because it's an area of commerce between Libya and the Mediterranean to Nigeria and then to the rest of Africa mm-hmm. through there. So there's military bases, U- U.S. military bases there that there's a lot of people concerned about another Bagram situation. Um and ECOWAS, which is sort of this uh, West African sort of European Union type group, um, have already said they're preparing military action. Um, and France is uh, supposedly ready to support, and so is the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. So we may be seeing another military flashpoint in Niger, and you have a picture of it on the map if you want to. Yeah, I just pulled up the map. So it, it's it's more what you would probably describe as sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Um, Central Africa, north of Nigeria. It's a landlocked country, which, by the way, t- tend to have a significant amount of um, turmoil in them because they typically have less resources yes. and ability to engage in commerce because they don't have a coast. They basically have like one major river, which their capital is on. Yeah. So, so, like and it looks Niger. like that they're from the news. They were talking about the military leader having, uh, just a short period of time to cede power. Yeah. So that's the thing. conflict, further conflict ensues, potentially from the outside. Yeah, they've given him a, an ultimatum. I don't know exactly when that ends, but it's it's going to be soon. So I'm assuming sometime next week we're going to see some military action over there. Um, the mil the the military leaders have apparently called for Wagner Group to assist. So that'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. if Wagner Group gets involved. Um, and if this could be another, like, almost like proxy war with Russia, mm-hmm. kind of like Ukraine. Um, but, of course, Wagner Group is technically not a part of Russia military. Technically, of course, being the key word there in quotation marks. Um, so uh, I wanted to bring it up because, again, we don't talk about Africa too often. And I yeah. wanted to make sure everyone, at least who watches and listens to us, know that, hey, well, everything's going on in Ukraine. And that's, of course, still going on with the drone strikes there and then Ukraine pushing back on Russia. Right. And I am just shaking in my boots because, again, my biggest fear with all of that is um, the use of tactical nukes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Which hasn't happened yet, so it'll be interesting. We're still waiting in Ukraine, of course, for the F-16 training to begin so that they can use those in uh, their self-defense. By the way, this coup in Niger is coming on the heels of another coup in in a regional country of Sudan. Uh, That happened uh, about, well, it was the beginning of the summer. So there's some major instability. There has been a lot of issues there. Is it Sudan there. or South Sudan? Sudan, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because I know there's like two countries of them now. Right. So, yeah. So, Sudan, yeah, they're, I'm just, just quick looking at it. 14 million children in Sudan dire need of humanitarian aid. It was the same... Um, the same type of thing where there were military agents that took over the government and Mm -hmm. um, made it quite a dangerous situation for folks there. So I think it's just important to be mindful Mm -hmm. of these various flashpoints around the world because it is a sign of instability. These countries in particular, Sudan in particular, has been very, very impoverished for 
very long time. And they've had a lot of issues going back to, to the Darfur genocide to, you right. know, 20 years before. So this has been ongoing even in my lifetime. Right. And um, it's important to know because, yes, it can embroil other countries if you think about the involvement of Wagner and the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there are components of this about resources that uh, can have broader implications for the rest of the region. Mm-hmm. And when you have conflict, you have refugees. Yep. Refugees place stress on, in particular, their neighbors, because m- the vast majority of refugees go mm. directly to the country that's next to them, to the next yeah. safe harbor. And that can cause instability in those countries as well. Yeah. And we've seen that. And then again, that creates another immigration issue. Are we going to be taking in these refugees? What's going to happen there? I mean, uh, you know, as long as we can vet the refugees, which I understand that we have a pretty good vetting process with this type of situation. We do anyway. have a and and third party placement is is the least used part of refugees. You're talking about a, like one to two percent tops get a third party um, placement when they're a refugee. The mm-hmm. the biggest thing that people try to do when they're dealing with refugees, the UNHCR, for instance, they're trying to repatriate those folks back to their home when yeah. it's safe. And then if repatriation isn't possible, then they look to settle them in the country that they fled to. And then if that's not possible through a very elaborate process of application through the UNHCR, they can apply for a third party Mm. uh, place or third country placement. And we don't even take the vast majority of those. Okay, so you're talking a very small number of folks that would even be potentially coming into the United States. Okay. So yeah, I didn't even know any of that. So that's pretty interesting. I did want well, to ask I teach you. This. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See, so I did want to ask you. That's why I wanted to ask you, like, from your perspective, um, why um, why these military coups are so prevalent in Africa, and why this type of stuff sort of happens from your sort of foreign policy perspective. There's a few things that come to mind. One is they don't have built into their governing structures the checks and balances like we do. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's unique and important about the United States is that we have a civilian controlled army that has multiple branches mm-hmm. and Congress ultimately controls the funding and the ability to go to war, right? Yep. This means that there's no one person in the military or one handful of people that are in charge of everything that can basically just rally everybody and send them off Yeah, because they don't, you need so many different components in it. That really protects countries like the United States um, from a, a military uh, coup. Okay. Interesting. So a lot of these other countries have much more simplistic structure when it comes to that. The other thing is a lot of them are dictatorships. And when you have authoritarianism, there's an inherent instability in the country because people mm. are not allowed to dissent. Typically it's yeah. one party rule. And when Things are going bad, right? Under that, mil- under the dictator. The solution is another dictator. The, well, the solution, well, what it comes down to is that it's easy because you've consolidated power, right? Yeah. Authoritarianism is a consolidation of power, mm-hmm. right? To one party, to one system. So that means one, and then there's a dictator usually that's in charge of everything, right? And that one person is in charge of everything. And it's very much easier to topple over one person than mm-hmm. it is to... Yeah 
like overthrow a whole system right so if the military even if they're you know if there's any sort of level of distrust or Mm. you know issues happening in that country the military can side with those folks and then overthrow the the yeah and if you think about it because um if you think about it from our perspective, you know, in order to overthrow the U.S. government, you'd have to take out three branches at the same time. Right. Ironically, so if anyone's ever read The Handmaid's Tale book, um, the initial that initial terrorist attack that that spurred everything was a a joint attack on the White House, Congress, and the Supreme Court, and killing off basically those three branches of government. That would be the only way you could, in theory, successfully unite a coup. So if these January 6ers were serious, they would have done the White House, the the Congress and the Supreme they tried. Court. They were they only tried Congress. That's they were true. weak. They should have trained. They should have trained better. <laughs> they actually had they had plans to go in. There were there were people outside the Supreme Court. There were bombs that were oh put. that yeah, I did not off. know. Yeah, and there were plans to take over the various office buildings as well. Oh, wow, this is full on push. That was a 1776 plan. That you know that, I haven't I haven't okay, seen it because that. then that's what the that's plan that's a straight up your hall push. Yeah, I am. And they had the plans of mm-hmm. having armed weapons and bombs. They had people yeah. that were going to go into the other buildings as well. So yeah, there oh. was some. Um, that's why they got charged with seditious conspiracy. Yeah, that's 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 a straight up push. <laughs> guilty <laughs> um but yeah so that's that's why dictatorships are dangerous and why authoritarianism is dangerous and yeah it's something that i've talked about a lot right and i you know i know i'm joking but if you're worried like and i know people talk about communism right communism is the bad guy the the, the thing that's dangerous about communism is the authoritarian is the authoritarian i actually agree with you there it's uh, the consolidation of power it's the one party it's mm. it's the um disallowance of dissent right exactly and putting political prisoners in prison that's the stuff that people were mad about i mean mm-hmm. of course as well as you know the part of the communism where they're taking the state they're taking the business taking property to the state but yeah. again that's a form of authoritarianism and i 100 agree with you because i've realized when, when conservatives criticize communism their criticisms aren't really about communism. It's about right. the dictatorship, the authoritarianism. Right. If you if you strip away all of that, there's very little. I don't see too much criticism on the substance, if you will, of Karl Marx. You know, most people, of course, haven't even read the Communist Manifesto. And so, the implementation of it has never been purely it, Marxism. Yeah. Um, well, the but, implementation, yeah, because it's all based on theory. And based on right. Marxism, Marxist theory, it was supposed to happen naturally after technology has created a situation that would eliminate labor. What's been happening with Lenin is, oh, let's just do it now. Right. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was people killing people, it. killing their opponents. Mm. And I, this is why I go back <clears> to <throat> violent rhetoric, because there is a fine line between saying it and then people going in to do it. And that's where I think the real slippery well, slope. I'll tell you what, I in. will make sure that there's no violence in my time as communications chair of the Lee County GOP. I will, ma- I will do what I can to avoid that because I think we can we can honestly disagree on the issues and on the on on these on on the basic you know all that type of stuff and you know we can do that without being violent and without being hateful so uh love to say that yep all right i think we did a good show uh, yeah i don't think there's really not much to- topics I mean, we to can just... go back to the other stuff but that's all um, yeah <laughs> yeah
yeah so we're gonna be we're coming back from our summer break so we'll be here every, every sunday Tuesday at 4 30 yep 4 30 start we're live on the big mouth media youtube and facebook channel you can come and join us here from four o'clock at ollie's in cape coral get a drink have a chat join the audience we'd yep. love to have you here and don't forget to check out the big mouth media website and subscribe mm -hmm. to this show 4.99 a month or 49.99 a year and you help to keep independent media alive and if you like all of the shows that we have you can get the everything package for $19.99 a month and we will deliver everything directly to your email you get the videos the full length everything and special events that we'll be hosting soon so check that yeah. out on bigmouthmediafl.com excellent hey megan my friend megan's on the chat by the way so hey uh and yeah again uh very happy to be doing this uh i've been sean your republican i'm dr cindy your democrat and this has been a democrat and a republican walk into a bar and we'll see you next time bye, -bye. see you guys later